Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals. Brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. Energy Sector Exec Craig Taylor, CEO of Iapetus Holdings, is our guest in this download as HBJ Managing Editor Jonathan Adams explores his career path. From a Navy officer to the legal profession, the energy trading pits, and ultimately, launching his own company. Craig, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> I have had such a non-linear life. Um, where do you want to begin? Uh, you know, I think professionally, I'm the CEO and founder of Iapis Holdings. We have a number of different operating companies across the energy value chain, from energy brokerage of crude oil, natural gas, electricity, to utility services, as well as tech-enabled drone inspection and audit company. We do retail energy advising for commercial industrial end users of natural gas and electricity. So that's kind of at least the last, call it 15 years of my professional life. Prior to that, I was a trader, natural gas and crude oil trader on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I practiced law at White and Case. I did M&A and bank finance at White and Case in New York. So I educationally, I, I have a JD from Fordham. I have a joint MBA from London Business School and Columbia Business School. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles. I spent 13 years in New York and I have now been in Houston very happily for 13 years. Yeah, and not to mention, I, I believe that you're also a veteran. Is that right? I am. Yeah. <laughs> Again, a very nonlinear life. I uh, I was on active duty for four years in the United States Navy. Very cool. And so, I guess let's start there. Um, how did you get started in the Navy? You know, I had a uh, a friend, and it's a really good question. Uh, I had a, a very good friend whose lifelong friend whose uncle was a retired admiral. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I initially thought that I would just be, I thought I'd be an athlete and I'd play professional football or something. And that (laughs) all kudos to those that make it to that level is far harder and a far bigger commitment than one thinks. Professionally, I really didn't have much direction. I was not one of those people that knew that like, oh, I want to be an engineer. I want to be a lawyer. And I think some of that has to do with, you know, I I grew up in a lower socioeconomic neighborhood. My mother started off as a bank teller. My dad started off as a uh, a used car salesman and, 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 and then moved on into insurance sales. But I didn't, I just didn't have that kind of direction. And so in talking to my friend's uncle, you know, he said, look, I think the military is obviously a great thing and it will, if nothing else, you'll know what you don't want to do. And you may end up, you know, you may end up loving it and serving for the rest of your life. And I had always been, I, you know, I grew up, I'm 52. So I grew up in the era of, of the cold war, right? The Rocky movies, you know, you know, us against russia and you know rambo and all this stuff and i was just i've always just been a huge patriot i love the us uh i love this i love america and i always kind of wanted 
to join the military. And so without having much other direction, I said, you know what, I think this makes a lot of sense for me. So that is, uh, that is what drove me to the U.S. military. And so how did you find yourself in trading when you got out of the military? <laughs> also <laughs> a very good question. It was not, it did not go straight to trading. Actually, while I was in the military, I was considering getting out and I had, uh, I had applied to two programs internally. One was was BUDS, uh, Navy SEALs, and the other one was the JAG Corps. So to they, they will pay for your law school. Ultimately, I decided to get out of the military and go to law school on my own, and I did. And I practiced for two years and then happened to be living, I was living in New York and I happened to be living across the hallway from a, a gentleman who was a trader on uh, the New, New York Mercantile Exchange. And we became friends and he just, he asked me if I'd like to uh, take a look at, uh, at that job path. And so I went and spent a couple of days on, uh, on the exchange and he introduced me to a gentleman named Mark Fisher, who is a GC owned a company called MBF. A lot of guys uh, that ended up on TV for CNBC came through. Joe Terranova is still on CNBC, and uh, Eric Bowling was was on CNBC as the admiral on Fast Money, and then he went over to uh, Fox Business. Uh, but he's no longer doing that. But uh, those are all guys that I worked with uh, with there. But that's how I ended up in trading. And I think, in many respects, that's what has happened in my professional life, maybe my life in general, you know, just knowing a lot of people, talking to people, being open-minded, listening to what people had to say, and and then where I thought things fit, trying to take advantage of those opportunities. How did uh, all of that influence you to uh, found Iapetus Holdings? So Iapetus Holdings happened over a number of years. It was kind of a confluence of events. I was on the trading floor, and we were doing open outcry trading as things started moving to the screen from open outcry a bunch of guys standing in a pit screaming and yelling at each other about prices and contracts and things started moving to the screen electronically there were folks that i was friends with that said listen you should move into the options pits so i moved into the options pits and started doing brokerage there and ultimately what i found was that there was you know really very little that one needed you know, to do this, you needed a computer and a phone, and then you had to have relationships. Well, I had the relationships. And so I started my first company, uh, Atlas Commodities. We focused on natural gas options. I hired a, a clerk and we literally were sitting in my apartment in New York City on the couch. And we would, uh, we had these relationships that uh, we were able to, uh, to continue to, to do brokerage for, you know, the likes of Goldman Sachs and, and others. And everything was cleared through the NYMEX, uh, through Clearport, which is now I think ICE has bought them, I, I believe, or the CME, but I think CME actually bought them. So in any event, that was my first company. And from there, things just progressed through growth and the desire for diversification. Frankly, in 2012, this was obviously coming into where, you know, we w worked through Dodd-Frank and the financial crisis. And then as Dodd-Frank was going to start having impact, having been a former lawyer, I knew what 
the regulatory environment could be like for businesses. And so I wanted to diversify away from strictly financial market stuff. And so I started Atlas Retail with some folks and we uh, focused on delivering a procurement and supply of natural gas and electricity to end users. So Iapetus ended up being the cumulative effect of a number of these companies. And then they, it just ended up being the holdings company that owned and managed all of these separate operating companies under it. And so what would you say were some of the challenges you faced in starting all of that? <laughs> yeah, really good I questions. imagine there's a lot. <laughs> Not really good questions. Um, I'll tell you, probably initially, the two things, and, and people would always, you know, I think people often say money. I would tell you that money is not the hardest thing initially. You know, I think you can do, you can bootstrap a lot of stuff. There's, you don't really need that much money to start a business. If you think you need that much money to start a business, then I'm not, and I, this isn't, you know, I'm not attacking anyone that goes out and raises $150 million with an idea, but I think you're seeing what the result of that is in the financial markets over the last, you know, kind of year and a half, right? It wasn't about money. What it was more than anything was you're building a brand and you're, and that can be very challenging from the perspective of acquiring talent, talent acquisition just getting people to come work for you is hard. They're like, well, who are you? Why would I come work for this company? When there are companies that are out there that have been around for a hundred years, 50 years, whatever it is, right? That was probably the most challenging thing. And, and to be fair, probably still remains. So um, we are obviously larger now and I don't want to belittle the challenges that come along with trying to grow without money and access to uh, banks. Initially, I tell you that commercial lending can be easier to come by when you're when you need less than two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But you know, the middle market when you start needing millions of dollars to meet payroll as you grow your company, that part can be very very challenging. But talent acquisition and talent retention has always been a very challenging part of growing a business and growing our businesses, at least, at least for me. And then, you know, quite frankly, the next and, and possibly the biggest challenge was, was myself was, you know, there's no book, even though I've got, you know, I've got an MBA and, and I had worked at companies before leading a company and leading people can be very challenging and there you can read all you want. You can read all the management books you want. Uh, but the reality is there are nuances to working with people and having people want to work with you. And I think that requires a certain amount of, for lack of a better word, personal uh, insight into where your, your gaps are and really being open to to looking at what's happening with the people that that you work with, that work for you, that work around you, what effect are you having? And understanding that as an employee, I was buddies with folks that I worked with, but then as an owner and president and CEO of a company, you want to be friendly and you are friendly and you are friends. But at the end of the day, they still look at you most of the time. They're looking at you like you are their boss. 
And there is a responsibility to acknowledge that. And that was also something that was frankly challenging for me in the beginning. I didn't see that. I just thought, hey, look, we're all going at this together. You know, that was not the case. So, yeah, there was a certain amount of of introspection that that was required on my part. And I think that is required on on anyone who, who starts a business or leads a business. You know, the management of people can be very challenging. Yeah. And so how did you kind of overcome that hurdle? Well, that's what <laughs> that's when I went back to business school. So what I've, you know, what I found was when we were smaller, we're now four or five hundred people in our organization. But when we were seven, eight, sub ten, you know, we all sat in one room, right? I was always pretty frugal on on, you know, I didn't go out and have one of these big fancy offices. It was, you know, we had an office. We all sat at one table. Everybody had computers and screens and phones, but we all sat there. Everybody knew what was going on, right? In each other's lives, right? And as I started to grow the business, when we started getting into double digits, 15, 20 people, things started to splinter. And it was almost like the group was, was splintering into smaller little fiefdoms, right? You know, people, they just break off. It's just a part of human nature in many respects. Right. right. Teams, for instance, in any given uh, organization, I think I don't think you should have more than seven to 12 people on any one team because it just gets lost. The connection is so much stronger and easier to manage for anyone when there are you know, no more than 10 or 12 you know, people on your team. So I did not know that then. And I started seeing you know, a lot of things changing within the organization, especially we got to around 2025 and people started having a a very uh, different opinion of me than I had ever experienced before. People were leaving the company and I said, okay, look, I don't, maybe I don't know how to be a very good leader, a very good manager. And so I went back to business school and I focused almost entirely on organizational structure, organizational behavior, leadership, and management. So all of my electives were focused around that. And that really helped me to understand many of the gaps that I had and that our organization had that I had allowed. And so I immediately began implementing those things. I had a fantastic professor, Dr. Paul Ingram at Columbia Business School, who taught organizational behavior and structure. And I implemented a number of those things that uh, that he had talked about immediately and saw very quickly the positive responses to that. So that's what I did. Craig Taylor joining us. In our next segment, he tells us how he's finding new talent when Texas Business Minds continues. Texas Mutual Insurance Company cares about your injured employees as much as you do. With our proactive and compassionate workers' comp claims handling, taking care of your people is how we take care of your business. Business is better with Texas Mutual. One of the other things that you kind of touched on a second ago was talent and uh, retention and, um, you know, finding talent. And that's a huge hurdle that companies are facing right now. How are you tackling that? 
I think we are at the crux of that across every industry and regardless of company size. This is a huge issue that was certainly, I believe, truly accelerated through the pandemic. It really changed the way people see work. It changed the way people want to work. And so part of, and I was glad that, you know, I was very fortunate to have gone to, to back to business school and completed all that studying and making these changes prior to the pandemic. But my biggest focus post, you know, kind of during business school and post was about the building of culture within our organization, defining that culture and hiring with that aim in mind. And really, whenever we were interviewing, making sure that the people that we were interviewing were also interviewing us. That I think is the most important thing. You know, you can pay people a lot of money. If they hate the people that they work with every day, or they don't like the company that they work for, they're going to leave. And the fact is, is that if people love the company that they're working for and love the people that they work with, they'll do, you know, it doesn't matter what you need them to do, right? They're happy where they are. And so they're willing to put in, you know, the necessary time and effort to do things. And so that continues to be my focus and our focus as it you know relates to talent acquisition and retention about finding people that fit with our culture. And it really has been seemingly working very well. We've started making those those switches to to focusing on culture more than anything else is really when our the business has really started to grow pretty much exponentially. And so that will continue to be our focus. We as a mid-sized firm, you know, growing and moving toward becoming a, a large firm, we do have to compete against the big brand names. We had recently, as an example, had uh, had interviewed someone. We wanted to hire that person. We made them an offer. They had accepted the offer verbally. And then a week later, before they were supposed to start, they called and said, listen, a, uh, you know, a big four tax firm had uh, made them an offer 20, 30% above what the market was and where we were and that they accepted there. And I think some of that was also brand, but it's a scramble for, you know, for talent. Now for us, that ends up being a good pass or a good miss, right? Because we want people that, that want to come and work with us and want to work inside this kind of a culture. And it's not for everyone. But it doesn't make us bad and it doesn't make them bad. It's what fits for you, what drives you, what makes you feel fulfilled and feel you know, happy and comfortable. And when you focus on those things, those are the things that end up getting you, you know, fantastic teammates and people that end up working with you for a, de- you know, a decade or more. Uh, there's nothing more painful than to an organization than when you've got a revolving door of talent. People come in and then a year later or two years later or heck, six months later, they leave. It's These are very costly and time-consuming things. And I can assure you, regardless of, of how different every company 
is, and, and a, you know, regardless of the industry, there is no company out there that is hiring someone with the intent that that person is going to be fired or that person is going to quit within two years. Companies are hoping that these people will come in, work and thrive in those environments and stay there for their life, right? Uh, that is beneficial to an organization. Culture carriers are, but you know, are, are a huge thing. But I think again, the focus needs to be on, on the culture and, and then making sure that the person that is coming in, that they want to be a part of that culture so that they do become culture carriers. And then, you know, invariably you may have one or two folks that comes in and it doesn't work out, but the organization almost begins to, for lack of a better word, police itself, right? Instead of, you know, crabs in the barrel, right? You've got a bunch of like great people in a culture that they like, and, you know, you drop a crab in there and everybody's like, Hey, you can either get on board with us or go find happiness and life elsewhere. And we wish you well, and certainly you will thrive in a different environment, but it's not ours. And so that is how we, that's how we have, have really approached that. What advice do you have for those interested in going into your industry? You know, I would tell anyone and everyone, regardless of industry, whatever it is you want to do, you have got to get out there and start talking to people. Talk to every single person that you know. Find, go on LinkedIn, reach out to people, join groups. You know, ultimately, if you want to do anything, and I got some some great advice years ago. I'm actually from my my chief operating officer. We were talking about some things. We actually started a uh, we started a podcast. It's not out yet, but it's called CYA, kind of a play on, you know, cover your ass, but it's really, it's check your, it's check your amygdala uh, because the amygdala is the part of the brain that controls emotional states. And uh, when it comes to running a business and leadership and management, you've got to really have your emotions under control. But we were talking about something, we, you know, kind of every day we kick around, uh, how the day went and what's going on in the organization and kind of our reflections. And we were talking, I remember he told me, he said that his, his father had said to him years ago, he said, you know, if you want to be a lawyer one day, hang out with lawyers. If you want to be a doctor, hang out with doctors. If you want to be a journalist, hang out with journalists. So I would tell you, uh, I would, I would tell anyone that asked, uh, for advice on how to join my industry or any others, find out where some of those people are. You know what? Go to those places, put yourself out there, meet those people, listen to podcasts on stuff, reach out to me. I mean, people at this point, I mean, everyone, I heard this statement uh, earlier today in the world of being online, everyone is a public figure, right? So reach out to people and yeah, you can't just reach out to one. I mean, i I know for a fact from just the spam calls that I get that my mobile <laughs> number is out there and, and I know that my email is out there and I know that, you know, I've got a LinkedIn page and I've got an Instagram page, right? So do our companies. So I shouldn't be the only one that you're hitting up, but if you're trying to join my industry, why haven't I heard from you? Right. And I can't tell you that I'm going to respond to you, but I will respond to someone. There was a, uh, as an example, there's a guy that works for our one of our companies, one of our portfolio companies, Atlas Retail Energy. 
he was in the Merchant Marines and he reached out to me on LinkedIn. And yes, I do get a lot of these messages and, and I, you know, I don't read all of them. I try to, but I can't, I don't read all of them, but I happened to read this one and the way he came across, I said, this young person seems very hungry, willing to do whatever it takes and is very interested in this. I passed his email and his, his contact info on to uh, our president of Atlas Retail Energy. I said, listen, I think, I think you need to talk to this gentleman. And if not, I certainly will um, within the holdings company. He now has been working for us for about a year and a half, two years, and is doing fantastically well. But, you know, that's what you've got to do. And you can't just reach out to one person and then wait for it to come to you. There is no such thing. You've got to go get it. You have got to go get it. You waiting, sitting around waiting for things to hit you in the face is just a, that does not work. You have got to move forward and make aggressive forward movement. And I think that, you know, reaching out to people and, and again, you, if you think you want to be in an industry, find people in that industry, hang out with them, spend time, do anything you can. Offer to take them to lunch, meet them for a drink. Do, hey, can you have coffee? Whatever it is, can, can we go for a jog? Can we go for a walk? You hit up a thousand people, somebody's gonna take you up on something. It really is about effort. And I, I, I believe that uh, in all things, you know, it doesn't mean that you're gonna bat a hundred percent. It just doesn't, you're not batting a thousand. It just doesn't happen, but you don't need to, right? So that would be my advice. Awesome, Craig. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time and uh, chatting with me today. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been fun. Craig Taylor joining us. Thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. Texas.